Hey guys, my name is Ryan Becker and welcome back to The Absurdity. Today's episode is episode number seven, An Absurd Seat. And today, I want to talk about sitting down. Today, I want to talk about two separate historical instances of sitting. One which had huge historical impact and one which has the potential to. Now, I am not going to be equating these acts necessarily, but there are similarities and lessons to be drawn from looking into them. The year is 1955, and a law currently exists which states that black people and white people must be segregated in pretty much any establishment. For buses, this meant that black people had to sit in the back of the bus and white people could sit in the front. For black people, the statement made by this was very subtle, but very poignant. Because of your skin, you have to walk a little further. You have to stay in the back of the line. You have to sit in the shadows behind others, and you have to wait for all the white people to get off the bus first. For the duration of your ride, you had to stare at the backs of the heads of the people who were better than you. You had to stay out of sight because a white person shouldn't have to stare at you while they ride the bus peacefully. And if everyone would just sit in their places, peace could resume. Unfortunately, peace doesn't always mean just. December 1, 1955, Rosa Parks gets, gets on a bus and sits when and where she isn't supposed to. She sits in the front of the bus and remains sitting even when law enforcement tells her to stand and move. She is subsequently arrested and would go to trial for her failure to stand and move to the back of the bus. She was found guilty of violating segregation laws, given a suspended sentence and fined. And all she did was sit. Black people as a community during this time rose up to boycott her arrest and treatment and boycott segregation laws in general. This would be the moment which gave rise to prominent figures like Martin Luther King Jr. and Edie Nixon. And for the duration of a boycott which would eventually result in segregation being overturned, Parks and other civil rights movement leaders would face harsh harassment. And this wasn't harassment like having your Twitter feed blown up. This is harassment like having your actual house blown up, in reference to E.D. Nixon and Martin Luther King Jr. Social and political obstacles which rose to prominence, opinions shouting back and forth in newspapers, etc., would lead to a social battle by an oppressed people to be seen as equal. Sound familiar? August 26, 2016, Colin Kaepernick receives attention for an act he had already been doing for some time, sitting during the national anthem to call attention to the systemic injustice facing black Americans every day. And social media would light up almost instantly with people shouting their opinions left and right on the matter. The difference between now and 1955? Well, there are a few. For one... This kind of oppression and inequality is now viewed as against the law. So we are now no longer seeing someone protest an actual law, but are just protesting a treatment. 
The other differences are that the method of spreading information nowadays are much broader and more effective at targeting the individual. Because in, instead of just newspaper articles and television, we now have Twitter, Facebook, online articles, Reddit, 24-hour news stations. In other words, many more people can make their voices heard and opinions known. And because of this faster spread of information, there are now, now faster ideological camps created for people to occupy. But you see, Colin is not protesting by his sitting a law that is in place. He is protesting unfair treatment regardless of what laws are on the books, because he and countless Americans unjustly searched, stopped, and killed every day know that changing laws doesn't make racism disappear. Now, Colin is facing harassment on a much more widespread scale, albeit much less violent, and the consequences are pretty much unrelated to being put in prison. You see, his sacrifices, especially as someone who is famous and as someone who makes a lot of money, are a little different. Well, more than a little different. In that, he is losing public image, he's losing sponsorship deals, he is receiving death threats that people have yet to follow through on. Because people are uncomfortable with him protesting a nation which they claim is great. And in many ways, I would not dispute this. I think that this nation is great. But just because we are great in many areas doesn't mean we can't improve in others. Race, relations, and equality is one of those areas to improve. Colin, in a very peaceful way, is calling attention to this very area. Now, people are upset and offended by this act. They feel disrespected or feel they are standing up for people who were disrespected by his act, groups like law enforcement and the military. They're saying that he is disrespecting and insulting the nation as a whole. Yet in the days which would follow his protest, Colin clarified just who and what he was protesting, stating that it has nothing to do with the military or those who serve, but it has everything to do with the treatment, the unfair treatment of black Americans and minority groups. Opponents of Colin since then have asked why why hasn't he donated money? Or they've they've offered that instead of protesting, which doesn't actually help practically in the moment, why not actually do more practical work to help fix the problem he is protesting? And in fact I just saw something like this on Facebook in regards to the students in Charlotte that did a lay down protest. And someone said, Well why don't they uh, go adopt and, and do something for a big brother, big sister program. Why don't they, they go into the communities that are affected and actually do something to help? And this is a common accusation for those that protest. And so in response, Colin has put his money where his mouth is. He is donating his jersey sale revenue, and he is also donating $100,000 for 10 months. And he is doing so in a public forum so that everyone can see where the money goes and when it goes. And since this initial protest, Colin Kaepernick has remained seated, or at least taken a knee, for every following national anthem. And several other athletes have also expressed their opinions, they have expressed their support or, uh, or displeasure with his, and disagreement with his protest. And Colin has drawn several insults like un-American, unpatriotic, disrespectful, etc., 
And I can imagine that Rosa Parks would do the same because you see, we, we are a democracy and we created laws for a reason and they are put in place by the people that we voted into office. And so for us to stand against those laws is un-American, it is unpatriotic, it is disrespectful to the system that we have created. And now, in the days, the months, and the years following, every act that Colin Kaepernick does is now scrutinized. And he must remain consistent in his approach to protest. You see, a few days after the protest, he was seen wearing socks at practice, which were specifically targeted towards police officers. And largely, this was seen as something negative, even to those who originally supported him. And this was because it turned into a more focused statement, and one which was far more easily seen as too far and crossing the line. Because while you can protest inequality and you can be right, you can't protest every single police officer and be right. You and I both know that there are good officers out there too. But what's interesting to me and to several others is those which would become some of Colin Kaepernick's loudest opponents because of the protest method itself would remain silent when more black people are killed. In other words, Colin Kaepernick's protesters by their silence have shown themselves to be more concerned with respect shown towards fabric than towards people. Any weight their arguments carried is moot now because they have made it clear that they care about the flag and the method of protest more than the oppression of people. Now, they would argue against this, but their actions speak in contradiction because they can agree with Colin's method of protest and they'll say, well, you should protest differently and you should speak out differently. But then in the same moments that they say that they agree and in the same moments that they themselves have the opportunity to speak up, they choose not to. Here's the thing. For the white man who couldn't sit in the seat Parks occupied, for her to sit meant that he would actually have no place to. In other words, her boycott just didn't make him uncomfortable because she was breaking the law. But the actual act of her boycott meant that he could not even be physically comfortable because he could not sit down. Similar to protests which hold up traffic, causing people to be late to appointments or to work. And I'm not saying that every method of protest is proper or appropriate. Sometimes holding up traffic is not the greatest thing in the world. However, protesting at its core, at its nature, will make people uncomfortable on multiple levels. And that is a reality which needs to be accepted. And those who speak loud against the protest are the people whose minds and hearts are the target for change not the voices to be ignored. I often see people who are protesting or people who are fighting for a cause saying, well, don't listen to the uh, enemy and don't listen to them. They're just spouting nonsense. They're not worth listening to. But aren't the people that disagree with you the very people you're trying to change? In my last episode, I talked about the art of listening and the importance of listening beyond words. And this goes for both sides. Those who are protesting need not ignore their enemies, but love them and listen to understand and move forward. And those who are against the protest need to love and listen to the protesters 
because there is always more to the method of protest than the method itself. This public scrutiny on multiple levels toward Colin, towards, towards Rosa Parks, leads me to a conclusion that I think is necessary to keep in mind regardless of what you are protesting. Your continued actions will determine the state of your heart and your intent. To protest effectively, you must be above reproach in your attitude. You must be consistent in your protest, and you must be willing to face the consequences for your actions, whether social, political, or legal. You see, Rosa Parks was involved in civil rights movements before and after the bus moment. Which means that any opponents couldn't call her out for just trying to seek fame or do something different because this was a fight she would continue for the rest of her life. Colin shot himself in the foot because he wore socks which disagreed with his original protest. They took it to a level that he shouldn't have taken it to. And he lost a lot of credibility for it. So it is important that we are above reproach in the attitude that we take and the methods we use and that we have to be consistent because people will notice the moment you are silent and the moment you stop fighting the battle you claim is so important and you can lose credibility almost instantly. Trust and credibility are gained over years and lost over seconds. And this is the case for anyone fighting for any cause. Opponents will always look for ways to discredit those who are fighting for a cause. In the wake of Coney 2012, Jason Russell, one of the guys in charge of Invisible Children, lost his credibility from one public breakdown. Years of work were undone because he didn't take care of himself properly. So if you are protesting and if you are, you are fighting a fight and you are hurting on the inside, you need to take care of yourself on, a, on an individual health level. You must not become exhausted in your fight, but you must remain steadfast. You must have a support system around you and you must create a system that you can be healthy in so that you can continue the fight and keep your credibility at a level which can be scrutinized and still remain intact. In Matthew 21, Jesus walks into the temple in Jerusalem and he sees what the people have turned it into, specifically what religious leaders have turned it into. And he immediately becomes angry and scripture says that he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He accused them of turning a house of prayer into a den of robbers. This was no peaceful protest. This was violent. Jesus ruined solid businesses by doing this. He tarnished his reputation and he created deeper hatred in his opponents toward him. And now I am not advocating for a violent protest and I'll touch on that in a second. You see, the, G the, the reason that Jesus was able to to walk into this temple and do this was because he was fully confident in who he was and what he was doing. He knew that regardless of consequence, his action was the correct one. There was no hint of doubt and there was no hint of fear in him. When you protest, your courage and your confidence must be the same. Parts expressed that she felt no fear the day she sat, but that she was simply tired of giving in. 
She was tired of people being mistreated. Colin Kaepernick is tired of people being mistreated and has expressed no fear and nothing but resilience in his protest. And Jesus was angry because people were being mistreated in what should have been a house of prayer. All were confident in their mission and clear in their method. And all were willing to face the consequences which would follow. In the days, weeks, and months following just the recent shootings of Terrence Crutcher, Tyree King, and Keith Scott, the onus is on those who protest to be above reproach, to be peaceful, and to be appropriate. But they must also be consistent. Jesus was only violent at the actual source of the problem, and even then, he did not sin and he did not hurt anyone. He wasn't stealing, he wasn't causing any physical harm to someone else. So this is not an excuse to turn a protest into a riot by any group. For those who will stand up against these shootings, it is important to keep protests as protests and to be consistent with our voice. Every protest turned unnecessarily violent. Every death threat, every careless word, and every blanket accusation of any group of people, from law enforcement to minority groups, will only damage the cause we want to succeed, regardless of what the cause is. To protest the mistreatment of people, you must make sure that you personally are not mistreating people. We must do all we can to be innocent of the actions we protest, or we become the problem we are protesting to begin with. That's it for today's episode of The Absurdity. And as we continue to uh, fight against injustice and fight against inequality and oppression, I would urge you to be consistent, to be peaceful, and to be above reproach. You can find more episodes of The Absurdity online at www.theabsurdity.org. You can find us and subscribe on iTunes as well. And if you have any questions, if you want to be involved with the show, feel free to contact me. You can email me at ryan180becker at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will have a great week.